Have you tried Music to Code by yet? Well, why not? Here's a comment Joe left on the website. This is also great music to mow by. I like listening to music while doing yard work to help the monotony of it seem less tedious. This past summer, I started listening to these tracks while doing yard work, and they worked great! I could let the music play in the background without focusing on it, and it seemed to help me concentrate on getting through my tasks. Thanks, Joe. And you know, now you can download the entire 13-track collection. That's over five and a half hours of music to code by for only 39 bucks. Check it out at musictocodeby.net. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. We're still in London. How did you know? <laughs> well, this show's like coming out in March, so they get spread out after a while. Hey, how long did you guys stay in, in London? London. <laughs> yeah, we, we recorded all these shows in advance. And yes. Over three days. And it's very fun to be able to record together. Like it is. all in person. It's kind of luxurious. We're used to being sort of by ourselves and focusing really hard on listening. To be able to see each other, body language, it's a, it's a great way to make sure. You know what, though? The editors hate these shows because yeah. usually they, they're dealing with separate tracks. Totally isolated. Yeah. And we don't have too much talk over each other yeah. because if we talk over each other, they can separate it out and yeah. put some space in there so you hear everything. But with these shows, there have been moments where we're all talking at once. Yeah, and, and there's nothing really you can do about nothing it. Nothing you can do about yeah. it. It's yeah. tough. Except my brother, Jay. He will still try. He will try he'll, and he'll spend tease hours. Those like what we just did? Yeah. He'll drive nuts. <laughs> oh, why you guys do that for? It's like, just let it go. We love you, Jay. Let it go. <laughs> All right, and uh, as it turns out, this is one of Jay's shows, so nice. let's say hi, Jay. Hi, Jay. Hey. All right, enough of that. Let's start with Better Know Framework. Awesome. All right, dude, what do you got? Cyclotron. Ooh, I like a good Cyclotron in the morning. Cyclotron.io, C-Y-C-L-O-Tron.io. This is a web application built by Expedia oh, okay. for creating dashboards interesting it's on github you can download this web app and it will help you create dashboards with multiple sources of data uh independent of any data source right it's a batteries included solution for loading and visualizing data without programming what does it mean batteries included that just means that you know there's nothing else that you really have to do you don't have to write any code cool you just select your data source do a few clicky clicky draggy draggy droppy things and you've got a dashboard that's neat man yeah good fine it looks pretty cool again uh full disclosure i've just found out about this i haven't used it but um you know if expedia is behind it it's probably pretty good yeah, it's interesting that they've chosen to make an open source project. Yeah. Obviously, they were doing something in this space, and here you are. It's not like they're a tech company. They're, that's a travel company. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, very cool. Very, very cool. So, know it, learn it, love it. Richard, who's talking to us today? Grabbed a comment off of show 1400. Just not that long ago, really. No. no. The one we did with Phil Hack, where we said, hey, we're doing show 1400. Mm. But it was also a show about scientist.net, the, yeah. the whole 
taking critical code and being able to build new versions of things and then test in production effectively by running every method twice, once on the old one, once on the new one, and then logging, you know, did they vary at all? Right. That was very clever. Awesome. Uh, and a great sort of brownfield discussion just about how you rehabilitate a piece of software. Yeah. You know, that, that you, you get being willing to make modifications to it yeah. at low risk. And this comment is from Vince, who says, what a great show. Not only do I find this topic fascinating, but I'm one of the few developers who love working on legacy code and have done so for 10 years. Yeah. It's just a style thing, right? Right. I have to say, though, that defining legacy code is hard. Yes, it is. No one can agree on a definition, and most agree that it's, quote, old code that uses old frameworks and supporting libraries, but I disagree. Uh, that marks it as legacy. Because if it can still deploy it and it uses, like, the latest version of React, is it mm. legacy? And I, I, I agree with you, Vince. Legacy means you can't deploy it. Yeah. That to me, you know, you may still be using a piece of software, but if you don't have the know how to make a change and roll that change out, that's legacy. You're 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 stuck. Right. Right. As long as you can deploy it and make changes to it, that's a live piece of, of code. Yeah. Uh, he goes on to say, I think anything which is continuously engineered and upgraded with new versions of supporting libraries, even if the code base is 10 years old, can be considered a modern application. We did this at my last job. We kept upgrading our libraries, the runtime, the new C-sharp language features, and we even started rewriting parts of our UI to use Angular. That's how we prevented the code base from becoming legacy. Yeah. I think continuing work on it is how you stop it from being legacy. Mm -hmm. And I do have to agree with Joel here, even though the article is 16 years old, it was a reference back to, to in, the, in the other show, that it's almost never a good reason to do a rewrite. Mm. And the example given by Phil and where you want a WPF to be cross-platform, why would you throw out all that old, valuable, and battle-tested business logic? There are lots of ways to reuse code. You can transpile the code. It's a build step with a, a facade on top. Or you could even break out the logic into a separate web service. I'm just making stuff up here, but rewrite for me should not be an option. A rewrite should be a long path of evolution rather than the big on-off switch. I think if you have your logic fairly isolated that that would be the easiest thing to do. And once you do that, you know, the rest of it may change, but the logic is the logic. I tend to agree. I would also say that that process, if it hasn't already happened to your project, mm. helps you understand it anyway. But yeah. I'm a big believer in no dead drops. Like yeah. that whole, today we use V2, V1 disappears. Yeah. That speaks more to a lack of process, I yeah, think. I agree. That you really want to be able to build your software so that your new version is so good everybody wants to use it. You never take the old version away from them in the process. And, you know, maybe you can incrementally introduce the new version piece by piece, page sure. by page, whatever. Well, and that's that's what the current model is. When you think about yeah. software as a service, like there's almost no concept of version numbers now. There's just new features that keep appearing. Yeah. One day you look back and go, "Hey, we don't use any of that old stuff anymore." Right. But you don't, you know, it doesn't happen all at once. It's a gradual transition. I'm sure Damien's going to want to talk about that. I hope so. Done. Yeah. Vince, thank you so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or via any of our social media because we publish every show to Facebook and Google Plus. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. Send us a tweet. We write them on duct tape and hold the Yugo together with them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That brings us to Damien Brady. Damien is on the European show. European car. <laughs> I love my Yugo. I used to have a Skoda. <laughs> it's funny. You know, ah, never mind. I don't want to go there. It's funny. Let's leave it at that. Uh, Damien Brady is a Microsoft MVP in application lifecycle management and a solution architect for Octopus Deploy in Brisbane, Australia. Uh, 
now in Toronto, yeah, that's, Canada. That's slightly yeah. out of date now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's a co-author of Professional Team Foundation Server 2013 from Wiley, and he regularly speaks at conferences, user groups, and other events like this one. Uh, Damien spends a lot of time training development teams on how to deliver their software better, be it through improving their agile process, code quality, or DevOps strategy. Most of the time, you'll find him working on Octopus Deploy or helping teams use it better. Welcome back. Thank you. Yeah. Good to be here. When's the last time we talked to you? It was in a hotel room in... Uh, hotel room in Florida? Orlando? Orlando. It might have been, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yep. What's new? What's oh. new in the land of octopus, first of all? Uh, in the land of octopus, we, oh, we we just released... It's probably a little bit old when this goes to air, but the roadmap for 2017, so all okay. the stuff we're thinking about doing and have already got in process. So, mm. yeah, there's there's a lot on there. I, I don't want to go through all of it. But What's the best feature? We are going to look at Octopus as a platform, as a service. Nice. Uh, wow. As a service. The number of times we've been asked, mm. do you have a hosted offering? And yeah. we kind of went halfway. We we have a, um, a Octopus deploy in the Azure Marketplace. Right. So you can go and click, fill in some details, and it runs under your Azure account. Mm -hmm. um, and that's useful if yeah. you don't want to manage your own infrastructure for it. Sure. Mm -hmm. But um, we're, we're going to go, yeah, that's, that's half of it. But we're going to go a little bit further and, and try and push this out as a, as a service, which is one of the most, most requested things of us. So it'd be a SaaS offering, a software as a service. Almost. Yeah, it's, it's weird. I didn't write the blog post. Paul wrote the blog post and he very mm -hmm. specifically called it platform as a service. So I need to have that conversation and work out which one it is. I would have, I would have said software as a service as well. But sure, because it's essentially you create an account, you point it to your resources and let it do its thing. Yeah. That's a SaaS thing. It seems like SaaS. Yeah, it does. Mm. Mm. So that's that's probably the biggest thing. Um, there's a lot of small ones as well. We want to improve the onboarding process, I think. So oh. right from scratch, get, get people up and running very, very quickly. Mm. I think the last NDC I spoke at, I did a from nothing to installing Octopus and getting continuous deployment inside an hour, but Nice. Obviously, I've used the application a fair yeah, bit, so I know yeah, how to, I, I know suspect how to do you're it. probably the fastest person on the planet at that. So <laughs> you can't do it that fast. You can. Yeah, that's right. No, everybody can do that straight away. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, and apart from that, um, just made the move to Toronto for a year. Congratulations! Just for a year. Oh, thank you. Uh, mm. That's the plan. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. It's got to be a visa involved, I presume. And yeah, well, because I'm working remotely, that doesn't qualify as work in Canada, basically because I'm not taking a job from a Canadian. Right, so they don't actually care all that much. Yeah, but, but you're able to stay for a whole year. Well, that's the other That's the other question. Well, you're um, actually squatting in the country illegally, aren't you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. totally. Um, I mean, he's, no, in like, a, he's in a Motel 6. Well, yeah, I mean, the, no, right. the normal visa is, is 90 days. Yes. Right. Yeah. That's what you get just by whenever you enter a country, mm. you know, with an ESTA type style visa. Yep. So as long as you leave every 90 days for a certain, some amount of time and come back, you're yep. fine. So mm. they're, they're, they're fine. They're fine for six months. I'm, I'm technically a dependent of my wife. She's, oh, okay. She's working at a hospital there for the year. And is she so a Canadian? She's not. No. Oh, okay. She's a, a doctor. So she's in there as a, a Regional anesthesia fellow at, okay. at a hospital there. So she's yeah. the one with the real visa. She's the one with the visa. You're just riding her coattails. Oh, that having, works. having said that, I've got an application for a work permit in, oh, yeah. in the works just because it's easier. You came to Toronto at the wrong time, by the way. Like, yes. Holy man, is it cold there right now. Even by Toronto standards, it's cold there right now. Yeah, negative 15 is not something that I've experienced before. I'm Where not, the I'm not steering wheel it. actually hurts your hands if you try and touch it? <laughs> that's yeah. right. The Barbie doesn't really work too well down there. <laughs> no, 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 not really. No. No. Well, the Canadian's Barbie 
barbecue in that kind of way. Well, that's because they're out of their minds, and they still want to barbecue. <laughs> well, one of the one of the strangest things I found is you know you bring beer over to somebody's house for Christmas and say, oh, just put it outside. Mm. Yeah. Like, what do you? What, hang on, that, what do you mean? Because it's cold out. It's there. cold outside. Yeah, the biggest <laughs> concern with putting the beer outside is that it will freeze. <laughs> you need yeah. to bring it in. That's right. Yeah, but if you've got a snowbank, you can just. Put yep. those bottles right we in there. Do that in New England for sure. Yeah, we do that sure. all mm-hmm. the time. That's hilarious. So Brownfield DevOps. Yes, what interesting. Is this? And is that for ops guys, for dev guys, for both? What does that mean, really? Uh, it's probably for both. I I always attack these things from the point of view of a developer because right. that's that's my background. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, I guess the word Brownfields. To me, I mean, it, most people are, con- are familiar with greenfields, you know, where you get to do a file new project and yeah. do it exactly the way you want. Um, yeah. And this is where you want to take on the new techniques and, you know, yeah. those sorts of things, In right? Exactly existing right. infrastructure. Yes, existing infrastructure, existing, co- um, yeah, the, the new stuff. So, yeah. um, I think brownfields for me is something that is probably old enough that if you were to start it again, you'd know exactly all the things that you would right. do, do differently. Mm-hmm. Right. So, whether that's... Um, the architecture of the code or the infrastructure that you're using yeah. or even the process by which you push the thing out to production. Right. If those things, if there's enough of it that you'd change mm. if you did it again, I think mm. that's kind of what, it, what I mean by brownfields. Right. It's interesting, the discussion, the comment about um, legacy code. Yeah. Um, yeah, th- lots of different opinions on what, what constitutes legacy code. I sure. Mean, I'm, I'm kind of... You know, I can write code one day and then two days later, I'm like, well, that's a bit legacy. <laughs> I do that differently now. Yeah, but by, and, it, and I think this is one of the things Vince was saying, essentially, was this idea that, hey, is, is, is essentially legacy the moment you deploy it? Because mm-hmm. there's new builds, new versions of things. Mm-hmm. I just don't, you know, I think the negative connotation of legacy yep. is that there's it's got legends around it right that yeah, it's right. from the past yeah and milton's the only guy maintaining it <laughs> that's right and only one day a week right yep. and somebody's taking a stapler and so he's not going to work on it anymore <laughs> right? right like yeah. We, oh yeah there's a weird <laughs> call for you but you know, the, more bro I, mean, I would even say and the guy who last built it doesn't work here anymore yeah yes right yeah. so that we yes we're still dependent on that piece of software we're kind of frightened of it because we don't know how to build it yeah mm. yep. and um, uh, there is a negative connotation like like you were saying to the word legacy mm-hmm. i don't think legacy necessarily has to be a bad thing i mean no. if there's legacy code as part of your product and everybody's yeah a lot of products who have a, a component that was written in something ancient right but that component does its job and it does it well and it's isolated and you know there's nothing necessarily and again, pushing may, you no, to make the change it, it may be deployed as part of another application but nobody's making changes inside of it yeah possibly yeah. quite possibly and sure. as long as it works and it does its job and you know there's no real need to upgrade it then it's not necessarily a bad thing no mm. yeah but it, and it, and the same way i don't want to cast a negative connotation on brownfield yep right? right it's like this is work that has come before i think the number one thing is it's super easy to look back on anything and criticize it. Yeah. And I think the, you know, the often when I'm sitting with teams, we're talking about this is like, let us believe just for a moment that decisions that were made at that time were actually the best decisions they could make mm-hmm. with the information they had, mm-hmm. that we all had good intent, right? That we we're yeah. actually all trying to help. Right. Now we know more now, so we might have made a decision differently, but that passes no dispersions on the intent of the people that did it back then. Mm. Our conversation with Dan North on February 9th, that's exactly what we were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Just uh, understanding the human side of it and that everybody really does want to help, but how they process that information, how they learn, how they, you know, what they're afraid of, those things all come out yeah. in their behavior. So, 
yeah, made the best decision we could with the information we had at the time. The software is as good as it could be for what we had mm. at the time. Yeah. The yeah. fact that we know we can make it better, that's fine. That's a good thing. Like, yeah. Let's get into it. Yeah, I don't it, like this. Let's discard it and start over. Exactly. And I think, especially from the Brownfields DevOps process, I think that's where there's benefit to making changes. Sure. Think, especially if the process you've got is the classic, everybody comes in on a Saturday every six months to Try hack a through a deployment because yeah. Yeah, yeah. everything goes badly. That'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's fun. Just go ahead and come I think on Saturday. one of the side effects of that as well is when you finish doing your deployment and it's taken your weekend and you're exhausted, the last thing you want to do is... Um, you know, look back on that deployment process and work out how you're going to fix it next time. Yeah. You just want to go Your home. Your only retrospective sleep. is a beer. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, so I think the, the idea of this Brownfields DevOps, at least what I'm talking about here at, at NDC, is the idea of, well, here's some physical, like some very specific things that you can do to start moving yourself in a better direction mm-hmm. for code that already exists. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So where do you start on that? Um, I think the way that you start with a lot of these things is to evaluate where you stand. Right. So, so a bit of a gap analysis. You know, everybody wants to be able to deploy to production and monitor what's going on there and really, really quickly. So sure. that, that cycle time of, you know, here's something we need to change and now it's running in production and we can monitor how it's working. Right. To reduce that cycle time as much as possible. Um, but without knowing where you stand right now, it's very difficult to to get to that point. That gap analysis needs to have a start and an end point. Mm. So does this mean walking through the process or talking to the individuals? Like I, I could easily see mm. going through the whole team and saying, give me your wish list. What do you wish was better? Mm. Yeah, so you can definitely do that. I think evaluating where you are is really, an, needs to be an honest evaluation. You can't, sure. you can't get the deployment Word document and say, no, this is what we do now because yes. that's not... You know it's not true. Right? You know it's not true. Yeah. Right? So even having a scribe next time you do a deployment who goes around and writes down exactly what happens each time. Right. Even if it's just a, oh, I forgot that this time. Don't worry about it. Don't mm-hmm. worry about writing it down. It's, you know, next time. No, 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 no. really going to need to write that down. Yeah, exactly mm-hmm. right. So learning where you are is kind of kind of the first point. Sure. What actually needs to happen. And that's not that doesn't happen in a day either. That sounds like you like you want to go through an entire cycle. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah, it's not just the deployment itself. It's the you know, how does the idea get formed and then how long does it take for that idea or that bug that's announced to get all the way through to production? Sure, and then right. what happens when it's in production? Yeah. As an, an Eugene Kim disciple, this sounds very much like first way, right? This systems yes, yeah. thinking, let us follow the path of creation. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what are we making and how do we make it? Yeah, exactly right. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Stackify Prefix an insanely cool and transparent and free profiler for developers. It runs in the background and catches bugs, including exceptions that get caught and thrown away before anyone knows you wrote them. Get detailed traces of every request. There's no messy configuration or code requirements, and best of all, it's fast and transparent. Hey, did I mention it's free? And not free like a puppy, free like beer. Download it now at prefix.com. .netrocks.com. And I think from there, um, what you do after that, I think, I mean, a lot of these conferences you go and you find out about some uh, DevOps process that a, that a new startup's got where they, you know, there's a 12-second gap between checking in their code or committing their code and a new Docker image on a self 
balancing self-scaling mesosphere cluster gets spun up and that's that's a little unicornish you you know yeah Yeah. and and people don't work at unicorns as a general rule right so yeah and i think it's it's can be discouraging you see that and you think that's fantastic and then you go back and you wait for your six monthly weekend of deployment yep um so little specific things that you can do that don't require gigantic you know cultural changes and things like that um i think that's where to start and and the one, the one thing that you should aim at initially, I think, is making sure that your software is deployable software. So right. stuff that can be repeatedly deployed. So is that improving the build process or improving the testing process? Um, a bit of both. Yeah. So, so building up a pipeline, I think, but, but getting your software in a state where you're not doing things like, making code changes to get it ready for production or right. yeah you know after it's sort of ready it's like yeah and now we make changes to that, get it you know, ready yeah you're you're starting a list that could go on and on and on i yeah. mean what you what the problems that you see that can hold up uh, a good deployment strategy mm-hmm. yeah exactly and and part of those uh, part of the problem as well is that production's this protected you know um very specific location where you don't touch it as a general rule yeah. until you're doing your deployment so you don't know what it looks like i think getting away from that um you know this is the holy grail you don't want to touch this environment because it's the special one getting away from that idea is is really important it's a little precious yeah you call that the pets to cattle move yeah, yeah a little bit and yeah. it doesn't have to be that extreme i guess it, like the you don't have to throw away production every time you do no. a deployment necessarily but at least Production not being a special environment where you have to do everything differently is. I have is a goal. absolutely worked with a group where their their server their, their production servers are all pets. Mm-hmm. They are always upgraded and so forth. And, and the question I ask is, given we had another set of hardware, do we know how to deploy to it? Yes. We actually from bare metal these machines, and I, I was doing it from a D. I was in there as a DR consultant, right? Mm-hmm. Hey, you know. The data center burns to the ground. We've got to do this over again. Do we know how? Yep. And got dragged out some hardware, sort of set it up and found out we don't yes. actually. You know, there's a lot of things we're counting on. There's magic in our existing production machines mm-hmm. that we, that nobody's got a document of that we just rely on being there. And when we wasn't there and we tried to do it bare, yep. we failed. Oh, come on. There's a word doc somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> somewhere around right. here. Yes. There's many word docs. They're just all wrong. Yeah. There's a, there's a company a, a while ago that I did some work with and they had a, a system that was written ages ago, but it was running on a Mac, you know, the old bubble kind of, not a Mac server, but an old, the old iMac, the old iMac, the, the pretty colors. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Wow. Yeah. It was running on that. The hard drive died inside that oh. machine. They tried to get a new one. As but they, they do after a decade or two. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, surprisingly difficult to buy a new hard drive for that. So they <laughs> that had to get one vintage. had to get one manufactured, actually. <laughs> wow. And then it took a couple of weeks to get the software back on and um, and running because it had been so long since anybody had done it oh sure. from scratch install. So wow. yeah, it I mean you you ideally want to get to this point where if the machine dies, then that's fine. You next. Get, you, next one. Yeah, right. get a new one as well. This is what virtualization is all about, right? Absolutely. The, yeah. I, there's no ties to that piece of hardware, you know. Even the, f- the standard version of Windows Server, mm-hmm. without paying for anything extra, you have Hyper-V in it where you can right-click on a VM and say, please make this VM run on that machine now. Yeah, yeah. And the next thing... Your next intervention is hitting OK when the dialog pops that it says it's moved. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right? Yep. 
I mean, you expect that to be a big enterprise feature, but I'm telling you, every copy of Windows Server has that capability now. Hmm. It's it's there. So, what other behaviors can we throw under the bus here? <laughs> other than, um, uh, Seems the, like there's no end to them. Yeah, look, the, the big thing as well, culturally, I think, is the idea of silos. So, yeah. this is a pet pet peeve of mine. And I speak to people about it where they have, uh, you know, a large organization. They have their dev team, they have their DBAs, and then they have their operations team. Mm-hmm. And these guys don't speak to each other. They're, right. they're individual silos. When, they, when you do a deployment, the devs have their instructions of everything they think they need to do to mm-hmm. deploy and they'll right. hand that off to the ops team and the dbas and so on but it's throwing it over the wall yes it's, yeah it's not you know not working and a lot of the a lot of the time the solution is oh we're going to do devops now let's create a new devops silo yeah, yeah. <laughs> devops <And> silo <laughs> so that's funny yeah i mean the solution to two teams not talking to each other is not a third team in the middle yeah, that's yeah right. it doesn't yeah. talk to anybody else either yeah right? exactly so so the working together part of devops is uh, is extremely important and sometimes right. i mean you know in the in the land of the the business owner who just wants to buy a DevOps solution, please. Yeah. yeah. Like it comes in a squirt bottle. If we spray this on our developers, things will go faster. I think exactly. you know, right. Yeah. probably one of the first things you need to do is educate each other on your vocabulary, you know? Mm. A, yeah. A glossary. Shared glossary. A shared yeah. glossary is a good idea. Before you can even start talking about what to do, they need to know what you mean when you say exactly, yeah. you know, deployment. Sure. And I mean, there are some organizations, especially uh, often the ones where they do have a lot of brownfields kind of legacy applications, where the process is very much around, you know, here's your team and your silo, and we're not going to change that. And as a, you know, day-to-day developer, maybe you don't have the capacity to restructure or yeah. to convince the higher-ups that you need to change these things. And you so, kind of need those people on board, right? You definitely yeah. do, we, yeah. We, we would like to get some DevOps, please, but don't change anything. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All changes must be approved by yeah. stuff yep. shirt number four. Yeah. But e- even things like having like a task force or, yeah. or something like that. If Tiger you can, team. Yes. Yeah, exactly. That one. So a few people from the dev team, a few people from the DBAs, a few people mm. from the ops team, a few people from marketing, you know, everything. Yep. And one to guy to go get pizza. Together. Yeah, one guy to get pizza. I think that's the DBA, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, Otherwise, we have to blame all the performance problems on him in front of us. So go get some pizza. <laughs> exactly right. Um, but that, yeah, having that task force, just so you can, like, last time we did a deployment, this went wrong. Yeah, and right. I think it's because... You know, why was it, why did that happen according to you guys? Why sure. did it happen according to us? But having those conversations and actually having the people doing the work being involved in that DevOps. I, uh, yeah, it, yeah. Convincing people, you know, we're not doing this so that we can blame you for anything. Right. We're doing this so that we can get better at what we do. Yeah. Yes. But at the same time, you want evidence based work. Right. So mm. when, it, when we were going through this process of putting together the team to, to, get better at this one of the problems i saw consistently is we were blocking out this weekly meeting Mm. and almost every meeting ended with the same thing we don't have enough information Mm. yeah right so then what i what we were doing is we block out two meetings the (laughs) the meeting on monday (laughs) was the data collection meeting the meeting on tuesday is where you share data okay it's like that's what it actually took i need you to block out an hour to actually gather the information we need to have this meeting yeah because it, as long as it was opinion about why things were breaking, 
You're just wasting time. And it doesn't take very long before people get tired of finger pointing and go, what evidence do you have? That, that, then you're like, okay, well, we have to have another meeting mm. with evidence. And then they forget about it till the 15-minute warning pops up on Outlook. And then you right. have 15 minutes of scrambling for log <laughs> files and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Rip, rinse, and repeat forever. Yes. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is? It must be that happy time again. Yes. It's time for me to go find my stapler. And I'm, then I'm going to go get some kerosene out of my Yugo. And then I'm, I'm going to blow up the building. <laughs> it's all office hours all the time I today. I can't help it. You know? It's wonderful. Whenever we talk DevOps, I got to go Milton. I got to go office space. Do you know that stap- that red stapler was a prop? They didn't actually make a red stapler. Oh, really? Yes. They painted it a, a stapler red just to make it a more interesting prop. And the and the company behind the stapler now the name jumps out of them. I think it's a swing Stedler, line or, or a swing line. Yeah, it was yeah. a swing line stapler. They now make a red one because of the movie. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, because <laughs> so many people wanted a red stapler, not That's knowing amazing. that it was a movie prop. Awesome. Well, it's actually time to give away a Run As Radio coffee mug to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But uh, first, let me tell you about Run As Radio. It's a weekly podcast for IT professionals working with Microsoft products, and each 30-minute episode, hosted by Richard Campbell, covers a specific topic in the field of IT from a Microsoft-centric viewpoint. And since we're on a Wednesday, we published today as well, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, that's right. And the, my guest today is Timothy Warner, and he uh, talked with me about using PowerShell to control Linux instances. That's pretty wild. Is, it, is that crazy? That's so right. The open source cross-platform thing is happening throughout Microsoft, and PowerShell's now an available set of tools for Linux. But can you use Bash to control Windows Server? That's the question. We're getting there. Really? Because right. there is a Bash prompt now running primarily for developers in yeah. Win 10. Right, just to, to facilitate that thing. But there's a whole conversation going on about how far back that's going to go because most Linux folks have been working on at the Bash level for a long time. They're right. not surprised that we like PowerShell and yeah, yeah, yeah. so forth. But PowerShell ups the level. You know, yeah. there's a lot of sophistication in PowerShell for its yeah. ability to control things. So, a really fun conversation. Tim Warner is a brilliant guy. Excellent. So, buddy, who's our winner? Today's winner is Stuart Blackburn. Congratulations, Stuart. Golf clap for you, sir. Yeah. Stuart just won a coveted Run As Radio coffee mug just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you don't know what that is, go to .NET Rocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of said fan club. But you have to sign up to win. And, of course, we like to ask our guests, if you had five grand to spend right now, Damien, on technology, what would you buy? That's interesting. I meant to think about this beforehand. I'd, I, <laughs> I meant to. I, um, I, I think last time I was on the show, I mentioned the Surface Book. And if they could, yep. bring, if they could bring out a 32-gig version, they would mm-hmm. – of RAM version. You'd be, they, you'd be on board. They would, they'd take my money right now. But Top the, out of 16 gigs. 16 gigs? Yeah. 16 gig. Yeah. Ah. It's still hard to get them. But I, I noticed the monitor that you've got next to – My uh, Asus your, 169B+. Plus. Yeah. USB-powered – USB-powered, 1080p, IPS monitor. Yes. Highly recommend. It's only a couple hundred dollars. You so, buy a bunch of them. Oh, and really? it's not just USB-powered. It uses USB for the, for the data signal. Video One signal. cable. And it's, and it's it's USB 3, not USB-C. Yeah. Uh, but uh. it uses the weird USB 3 cable, which has got this little dent in it. Yeah. Uh, because it has extra power. Extra power, okay. which uh, is necessary. Yes. 
So because I moved to Toronto, I left my you know desk and my chair and all that sort of stuff back in Australia. I'm, right. I'm not going to ship all that stuff over. Right. So I'm back to a laptop with one monitor. Right. Yeah. So, so absolutely, know. but it only weighs about a pound. I can't recommend it enough. Okay. Uh, I have bought two of them. Yep. And if you plug them both in, you make people angry. Because mm-hmm. now you're really wide. Like, that's a lot of screen space. Like, it works. It's mm-hmm. fine. Mm-hmm. But it takes up a lot of room. So, mm-hmm. uh, I have another laptop that I use uh, for morning coffee. It's sort of upstairs <laughs> with two screens set up on it. That's that's what's Does it have a little warmer built in? It doesn't. No? That's only for SETI at home work units. <laughs> <laughs> that's downstairs. That's a callback to, <laughs> like, 2003 or something. 2004. <laughs> um <laughs> Damien, I talked about Cyclotron, the dashboard generator from Expedia, the very mm-hmm. beginning of the show. Are dashboards really important in the process of, uh, of DevOps? I think they can be important for, um, for management buy-in especially. Mm-hmm. Like they want to see what, what's going on. Visibility. Visibility of what's going on. But uh, yeah, in general, visibility I think is, is much more important than, than what people give it credit for. Yeah. And, and these days, there's not a lot of excuse for not knowing what's happening in your production environment. Sure. Um, there's, you know, hundreds and hundreds of tools and, you know, performance monitoring and exception monitoring right. and logging and tools and all sorts of stuff. Like, yeah, gone are the days where you, you hear from your customer that something's going wrong. Yeah. yeah that's, you know, well, you're still going to, but if that's your primary to. measure of, uh, yeah. of functionality, you're, you're in a bad place. Absolutely. Do you, do you yeah. find management gets data fatigue if they have too much information coming at them all the time? Do you have to sort of limit what people see? That that can happen, yeah. Um, it's it's a difficult one because if you ask management, they want more data, sure, yeah. more more dashboards, more. But they also split. want to know what's important and what they can just sort of see is going on. Obviously, the alerts are the important thing. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. So when something does change, I mean, if you look at uh, like tools like Application Insights or yep. yeah. um, what are some other ones? Data Stackify, Dog, Stackify, yeah. yeah, all these things. Um, it's good to be able to know when you do a deployment, here's the point at which I deployed. Right. And then compare the metrics on how performant things are, how, you know, how much this feature is being used and things like that. Compare that with previous deployments. And that's right. a fairly thing, tough thing to instrument, actually, to, mm. to have that sense of a timeline that says, and this is when something changed and now we should compare be- you know, between them. Yes. The, the numbers are fun- going to be fundamentally different. I mean, I would also argue that for business people, the metrics they want to see are business metrics. Mm. You know, re- you know, revenue-related numbers. If it's an e-commerce right. site or customer serve, like they don't actually want technical metrics. Yeah, that's right. Um, and even you know, new features, releasing new features. It's all well and good to release a new feature, but are people using it? Yeah, mm. are they uh, getting stuck halfway through? Right, or using it in a way you didn't even expect? Exactly right. right. And mm-hmm. I think back to the idea of, you know, your Saturday deployments that you just throw your hands up at the end and go and get a beer. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's often, you know, a, a thing that happens is the deployment's out there and, right, now wash our hands of that. We need, we need to do other things. Have a party. Well. Sure. Yeah, hey, we deployed. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. The deployment right. parties. As, yep. as opposed to utilization parties. Like, shouldn't the party be when we've hit a metric yeah. about customer utilization? You know, and I, and I would go so far as to say... These are metrics we should be defining before the feature's built. Yes. Like yeah. We're now talking in terms of making a competitive bid for a feature. Mm-hmm. This is what I want to build. This is what I think it will, how it will benefit the company. These are the metrics we want to move, which are very much business metrics. Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting. Octopus Deploy, we, we measure a lot of, you know, usage and things like that. Sure. But the one 
like the one overriding metric is number of active installs. So right. number of uh. installations of Octopus Deploy that is actually being used to deploy things. Yeah. So we have on our internal site, we have one graph on the front page, and that is just a graph of active installations. Right. Because that's the thing that matters, right? Well, in that's theory, those numbers should always be going up. Right. Yes. I think yeah. fewer people are turning it off than turning it on. Hopefully. So. You, would, yeah. you would hope uh, so, yeah. yeah. So the other question, it, when I talk, think about in terms of actionable metrics, metrics that would make my behavior change when I can see them, yes, that number's not that good a number because it's only going to go up. I would think the rate that it's going up. Yep. You know, the, the relative delta between two periods, how many install, uh, how many actives last week compared to the, this week compared to last week, those yep. kinds of things that make yeah. you think, hey, we're actually losing momentum yeah. yes. or we're gaining yeah. momentum. Like, what was the thing that happened? Maybe Damien went on .NET Rocks and suddenly <laughs> these numbers shoot up, right? Yeah, we should right. do more of that. <laughs> I'm looking for an action, right? Yep. How do I, I – it's easy to make warm, fuzzy numbers. Just make it go up and to the right. Yep. Up and yeah. to the right, everybody's happy. And so, can you do something that actually makes people change behavior? Especially in 3D. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> With Flash. <laughs> we, it's got to be on fire. <laughs> <laughs> Flaming logo. <laughs> Some kind of animated mouse cursor as well yeah. as you hover over things. But yeah, w I mean, we can tie these peaks and troughs sure. um, to individual events. And um, strangely enough, it's, it's time of the year effects affects it oh, a lot sure. more than what we thought yeah. when, we, when we look back at them. But, you know, version releases where people will hang back and wait for the new version, yep. which has this new feature. Yeah. So, that you have a spike after the version comes yes. out. That's inevitable. Yeah. Uh, I think time of year does matter because people do time when they're going to release products, mm -hmm. whether that's their timing to get into the Christmas market, so they're shipping somewhere in October, mm -hmm. or they are timing around get this done before people leave on vacation in the summer. Yep. You know, they there it isn't consistent. It, it, it isn't symmetrical across, across the year when people are going to do things. And that's that's an interesting point as well that kind of comes back to the process that people will take where mm. it's very important to have this feature out at a particular time of the year. So the business will set a deadline yep. for that time and the software goes out then whether it's ready or not. Um, it kind of needs to be ready. Yeah, mm. exactly. And so the idea of like feature flags and feature toggles and right. things like that where you can deploy unfinished code or hopefully finished code all the way through to production with the flag that it's wrapped in turned off. Right. And that way you have the opportunity to test it in production. Right. Um, meaning that by the time you flick it on for everybody, um, you're, you're pretty confident that it's going to work in that environment. And this is another kind of dashboard, sort of mm. getting back to what you were saying, Carl, mm. is not just a dashboard for management, but a dashboard for operations. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. and I think there's, there's two things going on in there. One is, how do I control feature flags? Like a nice visual mm. way to say the feature's on, the feature's off, and so forth. And then instrumentation around that feature so I know how it's jeopardizing the system. Yeah, yeah. for developers as well. Sure. You know, they, you have all the standard metrics. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that developers want dashboards from production so much as they want feedback well, they from want, production. They want uh, mm. telemetry about, yeah. you know, they want to know if there's any errors that happen and, yep. you know, the exceptions that get handled. Yeah, exactly right. Or don't get handled. And I do like having that automated because my experience has been every time that operations writes a bug report, mm. you attack the author rather yeah. than attack the bug. Yeah, I want to <laughs> fix it before anybody comes down on me. Well, it, but I also think it's it's more you're 
asking someone to interpret what happened as opposed to, I have logging tools. Mm. Here is the copy of the error that occurred in the log. Mm. There's no interpretation here. This is what happened. Right. And so, and you put that up on a screen. So that we're all looking that way instead of at each other. The so wall of shame. But we're all on the same side of the problem at that point. What <laughs> yes. do you think this was? Like, yeah. what happened here? So did I tell you that story about the the oil field guys? I, I went out. I was starting this project, this IoT project, to do some automation around oil refineries. Uh, the project sort of died for other reasons because the company imploded. But it was great. We I went to a meeting with the CTO and the CEO of this company that was a software company developed software for the oil industry right and so they were looking at a graph on the web and of the previous 24 hours of the levels of oil in an oil tank okay yeah and all of a sudden at 3 a.m the level drops and one says to the other huh i wonder what happened there (laughs) (laughs) Who who do you think who do you think got that oil i'm like what you don't know you can't just like hover over the point and see what happened so well, I said that to myself, of course. Right. So we, went, we actually went out to the site to see the oil tank. Right. No security. There is no password to, for entry into the into the rig, wow. and the device that they use for knowing what happened and who took who drained the oil. You know what company brought their truck to the tank was a mayonnaise jar with a slot in the top, <laughs> bungee cord connected to the side of the tank, and they put a, right out a little slip and just. Put it in there, do wow. fill up the tank with oil, and they go away. Wow! Yeah, talk about an eye opener. The, the oil companies just don't care. Don't need to. Don't right? need to. Like so print, much for efficiency. Yeah. Not just that printing mean, is, money; they're pulling money out of the ground. That is a kind of message cue, though. <laughs> <laughs> Decent latency on it, but uh, yeah. yeah. But oh, the, its persistence is pretty epic, yeah, unless it rains. Right. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. That's really something. It. But that, that's an example of something they wanted to know that, but they didn't have a way of measuring it. So right. Yeah. You, and you can't fix anything you can't measure. Right. You're never going to get better. But how yeah. easy is it to do that? I mean, really, even a gas tank in your car knows how much <laughs> gas is in it. You know, um, it, it's we're just talking about some simple, uh, a simple app. It could be mm. a phone app. You know, that they just log in and say, "I took this," and then you'd at least so know. I'm interested. What happened after that? Did they replace the mayonnaise jar? Or? Uh, I I couldn't tell you. They the the whole project kind of blew up. Uh, well, yeah. the oil prices went down, right? Well, this was oil prices were already down right. at this point. That's and why they, they were, were looking for efficiency. They were looking for efficiency. Right. You know? yeah. They were looking to try to fix things. It's really, really very interesting. Huh? It's another kind of brownfield project. <laughs> it's <laughs> definitely a brown. Yeah. It's kind of a black sludgy field nice. project, actually. <laughs> One of the things we did uh, at Strange Loop was bring, put developers as part of the, get involved in the deployment process and in, and in operations on a regular basis. Uh, because when we had problems, the devs tended to have insight in the way the software worked that was different from the operations guys. Yeah. But one of the biggest things that came out of that every time was we don't know enough about what's going on inside of our app in production. Yeah. And that led to these dashboards. Like yeah. being able to run a transaction at the end of that doesn't actually write a record. Yeah. Right? Yes. It yeah. literally is a, a trick set of code that creates an object, you know, creates an item and orders it, writes it all the way back to the database acts as if it created a purchase and so forth yeah. and, and then just turns on a green light and said all that worked and cleans itself up. Yep. Mm-hmm. Because we, and it, it, this was an e-commerce site where literally the guy's like, I'm not sure if this is working. I'm going to go order something. Right. I'll return it later. And yep. pulls out his credit card. Yes. Right. And actually makes an order. He's, that's how he's testing the system. Like, we could do that better. Right? Yeah. 
Do you ever run into problems where there isn't enough process and people are relying on emails and, you know, faxes, God forbid, and <laughs> people just stopping in and saying, okay, this is done or whatever, manual process, to get people to be able to trust the software and the dashboards and the things, the tools that you're using, obviously you're introducing a lot of things and the source of truth becomes these new tools. And when you're working them out and, and building them, sometimes the data is inaccurate. And yeah. so that tends to establish a little mistrust. Yes. It's yeah. kind of a hard thing to get over sometimes. It, for people. it is. And the, the poorly kind of planned and measured processes for deployment is, is a pretty common thing. Yeah. And I think, I mean, it's, it's very well to say that the, the management needs to have buy-in and that's definitely true. But I think a lot of this can be driven from the bottom up. So sure. the developers are saying, well, we keep getting these exceptions. Let's just throw some like exception logging in the thing. Yeah. Actually start looking at, at what's happening. Mm -hmm. um, I, I often poke people on just using preemptive analytics. Yeah. It's bundled mm. with Studio. Is yeah. it still bundled with Studio? It's still bundled with Studio. Wow. And you still can't find it. Oh. Yeah. Because they're the same guy who's made Dofuscator. And oh, since yes. nobody installs Dofuscator, you never go and look. But if you yeah. go into as if you're going to install Dofuscator, when you expand it, underneath that it says analytics. Right. And it will literally capture every error that occurs in production, yeah. even on client machines and stuff, and feed it back to a service. Mm. So you already own it. You just didn't know it was there. Yep. Yeah. And you'd have to tell operations about that because you literally interleave it into your project. Yes. It's just part of the part of your deploy. Yeah. And that's why you need to get away from the silos, right? You need to <laughs> have the conversation with the operations guys. Well, you guys deal with this with Octopus Deploy. There mm. is something you need to put on servers. And in my experience, at least, when a dev comes and says, hey, we need to put this on the server, yep. the, the ops guy says, no. <laughs> 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 yes. <laughs> what was the sign you used to have on your door? What? No. Any questions? No. Any questions? <laughs> <laughs> Go away. Yep. Yeah. I just wanted to establish the relationship before you knocked. That's right. Right. That's right. So save some time. I know how this is going to end up. <laughs> I, yeah. And as long as there's a follow-up conversation beyond the no. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That takes all the fun out of it, really. But <laughs> really, the, the, the issue there is don't lead with, I need to install this on the server. Mm. You lead with, I'm trying to employ our, improve the deployment process so it's more reliable and consistent and, and less painful for you. Yes. Right? Mm. And in the end, when they are bought in to this, yeah, I'd like that to be better too. What can we do? Well, I've managed to secure budget to get this great tool. Mm. Here's mm -hmm. what we need to be successful. And it's like, okay, well, now I have a reason for assessing the risk of putting that on the server, yes. which is really the way I look at it as an ops guy, right? Is yes, every yes. new piece of software that I install on that machine is one more thing that can break, one more reason that the thing's misbehaving. You know, I barely understand how it works now, and you want to put on more. So, mm -hmm. no. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. That's what he actually said. We just didn't have that conversation, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And I think an, an acknowledgement that you are on the same team. You're yeah. trying to get... Right. You know, you're trying to get software for your customers or for your users. Do you yeah, have strategies to break down the silos? Like, what do you recommend to folks about how you're going to be able to have that conversation? Um, it's kind of a communication issue. And I think the, yeah, that acknowledgement that you're on the same team. Yep. I think for some, and I mean, I'm a developer, so I've had my history of, you know, oh, God, I, I need to go and ask the ops guys to install this thing. How do oh, I? No, no. Um, but but putting it as a look, we're we're on the same team. We're trying to get this thing. Yeah. We think that this is a good way of helping in this effort. And right. 
Yeah, uh, I think even, a way to communicate that is to establish the vision. This is what we want to yeah. end up with. And We're trying to address Can you this. imagine a day when you come in and this is the, what happens? Yeah. And if we can all agree that this is what we want to happen, now we can figure out how to get there. But uh, all everybody agrees this is exactly what we want. Yeah, selling the selling the end goal or selling yeah. the, the vision rather than the well, and the and the really the good intent. Yeah, right. Right. The, I didn't wasn't coming here to add software to your machine to make it worse. Yes. Right. I'm right. trying to solve this larger problem that I know affects you and affects you know, the whole organization. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if we don't lose sight of the big picture, then maybe we'll all cooperate a little more. I would strongly recommend doing this over food. Yeah. <laughs> like if yes. you want to collect so some true. interesting data, asking for things while we're having lunch versus not. Yeah. It's amazing. Humans yeah. are really hardwired to mm. trust people they break bread with. Hmm. I would also say this. I've been in organizations where the trust level was so low, they refused lunch. Yeah. Nope, not coming. Uh-oh. You know, That's hiring so a band and some dancers might be good. <laughs> <laughs> some dancers. You think? Maybe. Get the DBA to go out and get some pizza. There That's you right. Go. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, it turns out that ops people like pizza too, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, food right. works. It does. You know, it's, it's important. Yeah. yeah. But it's, I think there's also that's just an element here of don't presume trust, earn trust, mm. right? Take some time to actually be aware of the issues, right? Show up to their meetings. Yeah. What do you, what do you think about, you know, the tools that you would use to convey the vision? Um, are you talking about, do you use like Prezi maybe or, or tools like that to, I mean, it's kind of hard to, get everybody agreeing on whiteboard things and you know yeah. maybe it's a little abstract so maybe creating a video yeah you and, know? and i mean the the language is different between the teams as well mm-hmm. so right. even you're trying to explain what what's going on or you're working on that glossary yeah, yeah exactly but i think um especially with and i mean i'm biased because of octopus deploy obviously but the, that's the reason we have trial versions and community editions that are that are free Mm. Um, it's relatively, it's not very resource intensive. So if you want to mm-hmm. just install a proof of concept on your local machine, just so you can show them this is what it does. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, because, I mean, nothing really uh, demonstrates how a product works like the product working in yeah, front of you. Yeah, funny how that works. Yeah, it's funny. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and, and the big thing I see with the demos and so forth like that is more don't allow the price tag to be the barrier to using it, mm-hmm. right, to, to evaluating it. That you give away for them to experiment with it with a, with no excuses left. Yes. Right. Yeah. And it, I mean, when we've talked about Octopus Display explicitly, like I've gone after you on the how do we get rid of that thing installed on the server? Because I think it's a barrier to testing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, that I mean, and that's the driver, one of the drivers behind the the, the software as a service. Yeah, software yeah. as a service model is like re- decreasing that footprint. It's mm-hmm. just, it's interesting to sort of I am trying to go through the check, remove all the checklists to know. Right, like, yeah. and he's, oh, stop thinking about this because he just hit one of my no buttons. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And it's 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 tough to go through, but once you're at that, when you're dealing with that kind of space, then it's really about well, how do how do I flip this on its head to what is the reason I wouldn't install this? Really, mm. right? Like, it's, it, you, the, we're speaking very negatively because it's often the situation we're in, and, and that speaks to me of low levels of trust. Mm. Yep. The organization is not on the same page. We don't all value each other's efforts, and we do it to ourselves too, mm-hmm. right? Mm. Like I, often when I'm trying to build up that trust, I get the IT guys to bring a network diagram, right? Because actually looking at how this network goes together and letting the devs understand it, mm. and, and they, the the joke line is the 
you know, here's how you make IT guys angry. You draw a picture that's browser, then you draw a cloud, the <laughs> internet. Then you have a line to a web server and a line to a database, and that's it. Yeah. Which means you've consolidated this guy's entire job yeah. to the line between the internet and the web server. Yeah, There's right. stuff in there yeah, that's, that's important. Right. Yeah. Like you've just minimized that guy's existence. And you're yeah. wondering why he's pissed off. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Oh, Richard, calm down. It's okay. <laughs> Not that I'm upset already. Exactly. <laughs> See that line there? That line isn't working. Can, yeah. you, that can, line, you, make the, can you join the line? All there? you do is draw this line. Could you just <laughs> yeah, make the line go faster, please? And then a miracle <laughs> happens. I think you got to be a little more explicit here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. Great far side cartoon. Yeah. Mm. But you know, what's cool when you go through the whole network diagram is all of a sudden it's like, hey, we have identity services running here. Mm. We have this backup system over here. Like you, now you start having conversations about the infrastructure that's been invested in in the organization and that starts influencing the way you build software. Oh, I don't need to write that stuff. We have an infrastructure right. that does that. Yeah. Yeah. I just didn't know. Yes. Does it work? That's I the think, next question. I think as a, as a developer, you need some idea of what's going on like your, your software that you write doesn't exist in isolation no it's running on infrastructure that is being handled by a whole team and there's a whole network infrastructure yeah. going on and that work hard stuff. to keep it alive and healthy yeah exactly right and yeah. you, you don't need to know the absolute intricacies necessarily but you no. need to know that it's there and yeah. and vice versa you know mm -hmm. the the operations people that server doesn't exist just to be a server that's running right. nicely. If this, there's, there's, yes, you're right. As long as there's no users, that thing would run great. Yeah, we right. also wouldn't have a job, right? Yeah, like, yeah, that's right. So, so, so we'd you just know, get rid of these users and yeah. everything would work. Uh, cause all the problems, the users. You, you know, that computer doesn't bother me at all. It's perfect every day. Why? It's off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. It's a great lesson in a, in a sort of a Zen Cohen about uh, not – not taking a uh, correlation to mean a causation, right? Mm. Which is, you know, every time there's a fire, there's all these firemen at the scene, right? And if we just get rid of the firemen, yeah, wouldn't there, there wouldn't fires. be any fires. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's very suspicious. Very suspicious why they're always there. They're always dressed in fire retardant. Yeah, as at, well. at yeah. every murder, like there's always a fire. At every murder, there's always police. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so if we just get rid of the police, there'd be no more murders. <laughs> oh, yeah. man. Okay, we got to wrap this up. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's clearly, this is a hard problem. It is, yeah. yeah. I think the intent to get better is is important and that everybody's on, on board with that. Are you guys uh, pro consultant on this too? Do you bring in an expert? Does it does that matter? Or is it just got to be grassroots? It it can. I mean, there needs to be grassroots buy-in for yes. sure, and there but needs to be someone you can throw under the bus. The yeah. DBA, we've been chucking him under the bus the whole show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. He's really getting pizza right now. He doesn't know what we're saying about him. Yeah. It's funny, but it's kind of true. I know. You need and it's somebody right. to throw under the bus, and the consultant's yeah. usually the guy. Because yeah, so yeah, that's why you bring in a consultant, so it's his fault. That's right. Yes. Rather than the people you want to keep working with. Exactly. I think. I look. I think there's value in consultancy as well because you don't know what you don't know yeah so well and, it, and if you really can find someone who does one of these a month yeah because you're only ever going to do one yeah mm. they're going to be quicker at it they're going to know where some of the minefields are and yeah. you know it'll help yeah exactly but i mean doing doing it slowly and one thing at a time is I yeah think, that's really yeah. key yeah, yeah. yeah. And, but, ma but making consistent progress on it Yes, yeah, exactly right. Yeah, a yeah. consultant's curse is wanting to come up with a solution before they understand the problem, right? Yeah. And so you 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 got to establish, look, I'm going to take a week to just 
hang out and watch you guys and see what happens and mm-hmm. understand the system, understand where the glitches are so that I can actually come up with something that um, is going to work. Might really help. Mm. Yeah. That comes back to what I was saying at the start, getting a baseline, working yeah. out where you are at the moment. and Yeah, where are we really? Where mm-hmm. are you really? What really How happens? will you know if you improved? Yeah. Yes. Right? Yeah, exactly. That's a good question. Right. Mm. Yeah. Some things will be obvious that you can improve on right away, but other things, you know, the big, big fundamental decisions really have to be mm. taken carefully. Sure. I, I think the biggest thing with the Brownfields DevOps is not to abandon it because, look, this is the way the application right. is deployed. This is the way it's architected. It's too hard to do. Just make, you know, make a start. Try to, try to take that first step towards reducing that or removing that first bottleneck sure. and then take the next one. And, and then yeah. the psycho- there'll always be another one somewhere. There'll always yeah. be another one. Yeah. And it don't is forget the psychological aspects of, you know, whose ego am I going to bruise if I if we decide we to go this, this route or that route and how is that going to be managed? Yeah, good point. Yeah. 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 All right, Damien, thank you. It's been great talking to you. Yeah, you too. Thank you. All right, and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a 